Well, please go ahead. Uh, let me invite you to grab your Bible. Um, turn to the book of Proverbs. We have been in Proverbs for the last uh, while as a church. And uh, throughout these summer months, we went preached through chapters 1 to 9. Throughout the summer months, we kind of in four big themes in Proverbs. Last week, we looked at friendship. Um, I would encourage you, if you have time, to, to go back and um, listen to that. Proverbs has a lot of wisdom with regards to friendship, something that's um, deeply lacking in our, in our culture and even within the church. Um, this morning, we're thinking about uh, household wisdom, so um, thinking about marriage, uh, parenting, uh, and what it looks like to live as a child in relationship uh, with our parents. Just a, a bit of a heads up, there's quite a lot on the, the screen this morning. If you're someone who takes notes, don't panic. Uh, you can, I, I will give you access to the verses that are referenced and the points as well afterwards. So please just, I would encourage you just to just listen. And just to say up front as well, um, I come to this with a lot of humility um, with you, come to God's word with you this morning as someone who needs to grow in these things uh, and, and very much learn in these things. So uh, please hear that um, uh, as we come to God's word together. One of the things or one of the conversations that me and Zoe find ourselves often having, Zoe's my wife, um, is this. When it comes to parenting, are we doing this well? Are we doing this well? Uh, maybe particularly when it comes to the, the more difficult things of setting boundaries and things like discipline, are we doing this wisely? Are we doing this well? As Christians, we want to raise our children according to the good news of Jesus, according to God's word. So, God's word. So, the question for Christians is not just how do I parent well, but how do I parent distinctively as a Christian parent? And the good news is that God hasn't just given us the gift of children, He's also given us the gift of wisdom to help us parent well. Proverbs is one place in the Bible that's full of this kind of wisdom on how to parent. And this morning, we're not just going to be thinking about parenting, so don't switch off straight away, okay? We're not just thinking about parenting, we're thinking about marriage, and we're also thinking about how children are to relate to their parents, okay? And, and if, whether you're a parent, whether you're married, whether you have children, don't switch off either. God has given us wisdom to rightly live in these relationships. He's not left us without knowing how to live out these relationships well. And when it comes to things like parenting, for instance, how often do we make Proverbs, how often do we make the Bible our first port of call when it comes to parenting wisdom? But this isn't just something that parents or people who are married or people who have kids need to know this kind of wisdom. It doesn't matter what your status is here this morning. As a church, we all need to know this wisdom. We all need to know how we are to live rightly in these relationships. A, in case we end up with our status changing in the future, and also so that we can help one another walk in these things. We all need to know wisdom in how to live out parenting, marriage, uh, and being a child towards a parent, because we all need to speak truth into one another's lives. How can we do that unless we know God's wisdom? And just to say up front, as someone who is married and has kids, I very much invite the wisdom from God's Word through someone who isn't married or who doesn't have kids. We should all, through Scripture, we are all through Scripture qualified to speak that truth into one another's lives, and we, we need to do that. And maybe just to say this up front as well, as a, as a church, the more we travel along this journey as a church, we're, we're kind of two years in, but the, the more we travel along this journey, the more and more convinced I am that the most important work we will do here together will be in the household. The most important work we will do here will be to help one another live out the gospel within our homes. 
Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning, or you're still figuring what that looks like, figuring out what that looks like. There are lots of books and material and hand-me-down knowledge on how to be married, on how to parent. But let me just encourage you that there is nothing that even comes close to the wisdom that's contained within Scripture. Nothing comes close to the wisdom that's contained within Scripture. And of course it would, because God created this world. He created us. And He's not left us without wisdom and how to live these things out. But it offers more than wisdom and principles, okay? That's a really key thing we need to grasp here this morning. Proverbs offers us more than just wisdom and principles. The Bible offers us also good news when it comes to these relationships. Because in our parenting and in our marriage and as seeking to honor our parents, we will fail. We will make mistakes. It will be hard at times. But the gospel story, the story of what God in Christ has done and is doing in our lives, provides us with help and hope in amongst all of that. In Jesus, we see the perfect son In Jesus, we see the perfect husband. In Jesus, we are saved into relationship with a perfect father. In Jesus, there is forgiveness for our failures and hope of real lasting heart change in these relationships, a change that only he can ultimately bring about. So what we're going to really discover here this morning together is this, get God's wisdom to live rightly in household relationships. That's the exhortation, that's the encouragement this morning in Proverbs, get God's wisdom to live rightly in household relationships. The first one we're going to look at is marriage. Firstly, how do I become a wise spouse? And one key thing you'll see here throughout Proverbs, throughout the whole Bible, is that the Bible's focus, Proverbs' focus, is firstly on our own character on how we need to change, and on our contribution to those relationships. So often in marriage or parenting, it's how my spouse needs to change or how my kids need to change. Actually, the Bible presses us to focus on our own contribution, our own character, and on how we need to change, and how when we change, that positively contributes to the marriage relationship, to a parenting relationship. So first thing for spouses is this, fear the Lord. How do you become a wise spouse? first thing is to fear the Lord. And this is going to be the same first point for every relationship, okay? We're in Proverbs. Again, Proverbs 31 verse 30 says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Okay, speaking in female terms here, but we can apply it both ways. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That means that outward appearances can be deceptive. That beauty, outward appearances, physical beauty doesn't last. It changes with time. What matters most is the heart, a heart that fears the Lord. That's what verse 30 is so clear on. That's the foundational principle of Proverbs. This is Proverbs 31, verse 30 is the penultimate verse of the whole book. It was how the book began. It's how the book ends fear of the Lord. We will only live rightly in our household relationships when we firstly fear the Lord, when we are in right relationship with Him. He is to be feared. That's what will serve, primarily serve our marriages. It's the number one thing you can do for your marriage relationship is fear the Lord. What is fear of the Lord? Well, we've seen this a number of times together. A guy called C. Bridges phrases it this way, fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. It's a humility. It's a desire to obey the Lord. The most important thing you can contribute to any relationship and the marriage relationship is fear of the Lord, is a godly character. So for ladies, if you're married, prioritize fearing the Lord and keeping His commandments 
over fitness, over foundation, and over fake tan, okay? Prioritize fear in the Lord. For men who are married, prioritize fear in the Lord and keeping his commandments. Also over fitness, and maybe over football, or FIFA, or Fortnite, and maybe also fake tan, okay? I'm not going to ask. A spouse that fears the Lord, who is godly and mature in their faith, is, as verse 30 tells us, to be praised. They're to be praised. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a rare thing in this world to find a spouse who fears the Lord. So if you have a spouse like that, then praise the Lord and praise your spouse. It's the second thing we see. If I want to be a wise spouse, fear the Lord. And secondly, be grateful. Proverbs teaches us that our spouse is a good, gracious gift. Chapter 19, verse 14, house and wealth are inherited from, the, from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What that verse is saying there, chapter 19, verse 14, house and wealth are from the Lord, yes, but they are very much also gained by hard work, by wise choices. Yet a prudent spouse, a good spouse, and very, is very much just a sheer gift of the Lord. We don't earn that. The Lord in his providence and kindness gives us that. So don't take that gift for granted. Don't take it for granted. Steward your spouse well. She, he is from the Lord. Don't misuse them. Don't manipulate them. Don't abuse them. Don't worship them either. Okay? Don't go to the other extreme. Don't forget that they are a gift from the Lord. Don't forget the giver of that gift. Be grateful because she's a good, because he is a good and gracious gift, and because they are precious. Proverbs 31 verse 10 an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. What that's saying to us is that godly spouses don't grow on trees. They're hard to find. Those who are single and desire marriage maybe perhaps realize that more than anyone else in the room. And those who have been married for a while are maybe tempted to forget that, to not recognize just how precious the gift of a godly spouse is. Treasure your spouse. If you're married, treasure your spouse. And praise God for the gift he's given you. Praise God for the gift he's given you and praise your spouse as well. Chapter 31, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you praised your spouse? When's the last time you went up to them and showed them how much you appreciate them? When's the last time you said before them, I'm thankful to God that he gave you to me? Maybe you're thinking, hey, hold on, Lee. You don't know my spice. Be grateful for my spice. You don't know what they're like. You're not the one who has to live with them. But there we see the focus already beginning to shift to the other person rather than on ourselves. Husbands, if your wife is prudent and excellent, if she's not prudent and excellent, you're still called to love her like Christ loved the church. You're still called to love her like Christ loves the church. She is still a gift. Wives, 1 Peter 3 tells us that even when our husband isn't perfect, which he will not be, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do you see that? The focus is on the conduct of ourselves, not our spouse, 
If we want to see any change in our spouse, the first thing, the most important thing we can do is change ourselves. Yes, there's a place for gentle correction, respectful correction. The most important thing we'll do is change ourselves. Fear the Lord, be grateful, be peaceable. That's the third thing we see to be a wise spouse. Proverbs 19, verse 13, a foolish son is ruined to his father and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Uh, last night I was woke up, there was a bit of a flash flood with rain last night. I woke up and uh, the window was cracked open and I could hear afterwards after the rain had stopped just dripping constantly for like half an hour. Kept me awake. Verse 13 there speaks to the need for spouses to be peaceable towards one another. To not constantly pick faults in one another. There will be faults, right? But we're not to constantly pick them out. We're not to roll our eyes or tuck or nag one another, as a few translations puts it. We're to be peaceable. The, the dripping rain there is the equivalent of, of living in a house that has a constant leak in it. I'm sure some of us know that experience. It creates dampness. It discolors everything. It can actually be a really discouraging thing, water getting into our homes, can't it? And ultimately, it can cause a lot of damage if it keeps going. We're be peaceable. Constant quarreling, James 4 tells us, comes from our own desires. Ultimately, not our spouse. It comes from selfish desires. The gospel calls us in marriage to put on love, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. So to be a wise spouse, fear the Lord, be grateful, be peaceable, be intoxicated, okay? Not with alcohol. We thought about this a number of weeks back. Chapter 5, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. We thought about how, a number of weeks ago, how sex is a great gift from God to be enjoyed only but fully within the context of covenant marriage. So if you're married, don't neglect one another sexually. <clears throat> Have sex regularly. Approach sex with an attitude of service and of sacrifice. Navigate the changing circumstances and seasons of life when it comes to your, your sexual relationship. Do that with much patience and understanding and communication. And as we thought about, understand that in the words of Tim Chester, Good sex begins long before you take your clothes off. That means that we are to pursue one another relationally, emotionally. We're to build friendship with one another, as we thought about last week. And the fifth thing, to be a wise spouse, be faithful. Again, these are some of the things we've already thought about, but it's helpful to reinforce them. We are to be faithful to our spouse. We're not to approach marriage with a consumer attitude, but a covenant attitude. That's what makes Christian marriage different. We're not to approach it with a consumer attitude. What can I get out of this? But with a covenant attitude. That is, I have made vows before the Lord to my spouse. I remain faithful in light of what I vowed before him. I remain faithful in light of the vows I've made before my spouse. Recognizing that ultimately it's God who's joined the marriage together. Proverbs 6, verse 32, that really sobering verse. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Adultery wreaks untold havoc on the marriage and on the family and on the church and on society. Be faithful. 
Remain faithful to your spouse. Don't go looking elsewhere. Make every minute of every day a battle with lust in your heart and in your mind. Guard your heart. Fulfill your marriage vows. Don't let your guard down on that. It's not just when it comes to lust or, or, or sexually that we're to be faithful. Be faithful in your affections and in your attention. It's too easy to let other things distract us from being faithful to your spouse. Maybe it's a hobby or a sport or friendships with other people. Make sure you remain faithful in your affections and your attention towards your spouse too. So that's spouse. How do you become a wise spouse? Secondly, how do I become a wise parent? I told you it'd be fast-paced, okay? Again, first thing for a parent, fear the Lord. Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. So if a parent fears the Lord, then we can be confident that they, they can be confident about their life now. They can have security now and ultimately eternal security. That's what happens when they fear the Lord. And if a parent fears the Lord, then the children benefit from that. They benefit from that security, both in an earthly sense, but also in an eternal sense, in the example that's set forth by the parents. That confidence that we have can be our children's confidence. That security that we have can be our children's security. So often, don't we, when we, we think about our children and security, we think about, oh, I hope they get a good education so that they can get a good job, so that they can have a good home. Those are not bad things. Those are things to be cherished and to be worked after and to be blessed. But if that's the only security we're thinking about when it comes to our kids, that's the wrong kind of security. It's a deficient security. The main way we will ensure our children's security is if we fear the Lord, is if we obey His commandments. That provides them with a godly example and a way to follow. That's the second thing we see when it comes to parenting. Fear the Lord and live righteously. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, the righteous who walks in his, his integrity, blessed are his children after him. The commentator Derek Kidner calls this verse the father's legacy. He calls this verse the father's legacy. You want to leave your children in a legacy? Be righteous. Walk in integrity. Parents who live godly lives of integrity bless their children. It doesn't just provide them with a good, loving home to be brought up in. It provides them with a godly example to follow. We can teach and train our children all day long, even in the things of the Lord. But if we live as hypocrites to those things, they'll smell a mile off. Yet, we should train them. We should teach them. That's the third thing we see here. How do I become a wise parent? Train your children. This is probably the most well-known verse from Proverbs when it comes to the household. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train there actually um, has the kind of, the meaning behind that is to dedicate. So when Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings, it was the same word. It was to dedicate it as it was to start off in, in the right direction. That's really what it's saying. I'll start your child off in the right direction, start them off in the way to go, and they will keep on that way. Start as you mean to go on. Start them off in the right direction. Uh, we have a, a, a toy in our house for our kids. It's like a little uh, trolley thing that the kids push around. Um, when they're really young, they don't know how to turn it, so we kind of have to start them up uh, so that they can get going, and then they, kinda, they can't turn it, so we need to go again and, and put them back on track. 
They eventually find out how to steer it for themselves, but we need to set them off in the right direction. It's how they've learned to walk. That's what we need to do with our kids. We need to start them off in the right direction. And they will veer off and not know how to turn right or left, so we'll need to guide them back on the right way. It means for parents, if you're a parent here this morning, from the very beginning, we need to point our children to the way of trust and obedience in Jesus. From day one, we need to prayerfully, intentionally, and daily direct our children to walk the right way, to walk in obedience to God. And verse 6 tells us that our motivation for doing that is if we start them off well, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. If we use those 18 or years, so years wisely, they will not drift or depart even into old age. It means these years are crucial. These years are crucial. Use them wisely. Don't allow these years to slip by. I read something recently. I don't know how reliable the stats are, but I'm sure they're a good indicator. Between 93 to 95% of all the time you will spend with your kids will happen before they turn 18. The final 5 to 7% of in-person time will be stretched out over the next 50 years. Now, of course, that will vary from degree to degree. The reality is that those first 18 years are crucial. So parent with that reality in mind. But again, we must be careful how we read those, that verse. We must guard ourselves from two extremes when we read that verse. The first extreme is this. If we get the parenting formula right, our kids will turn out just fine. If we teach them this and we do that and we add this and take away that equals perfect child. It's not how it works. Okay, many of you will know that. The guy who leads our network that we're part of, uh, Dave Harvey, he's, he calls that the false hope of deterministic parenting. That is, if we have this formula and we do all the right things, it equals a godly child. That's not how it works. There's a real danger of legalism there, where we force all these things on our kids because we think it'll make them turn out right. The second danger in reading that verse is that if our child strays from God and drifts, maybe for a long time, we think it's all our fault. We think that because we didn't train them properly, it's all on us. Whilst our parenting, and hear me say this, our parenting really, really matters, okay? Our parenting really matters, and it is used by God. We must recognize that good parenting isn't the decisive factor in our children coming to know Him and be saved by Him, nor does our bad parenting stop Him doing that. It doesn't stop God saving our children. That's because it's ultimately all of God, and that's a good thing. So parent well, parent wisely. Do all you can to raise your kids well, but rest in the fact that it's ultimately all of God. Kids in godly homes stray. Kids in ungodly homes get saved. The church has a big vital role to play in all of that, but the reality is, okay, the reality that that verse tells us, with all of that said, the reality is, and it shouldn't surprise us, since verse verse 6 teaches it there, that the vast majority of people who endure in the faith into old age have had the influence of either one or both of a godly home or a good gospel church. So be a godly parent and make sure your family is immersed in a healthy gospel church. What does it look like to train? There's two key components to training. 
We see them in Ephesians 6 as well, instruction and discipline. Those are the, the, the meat and potatoes of training our children. So third thing then, when it comes to being a wise parent, fear the Lord, sorry, fourth, fear the Lord, live righteously, train your children and instruct them. There is a teaching component involved in parenting, okay? There's a teaching component. We are all called as fathers and mothers and fathers are to lead in that. There is a teaching component in parenting. Verse 20 in chapter 6, my son, keep your father's commandment. So he's been commanding things and forsake not your mother's teaching. She's been teaching things. Children need to be taught about who God is, what he's revealed about himself. They need to be taught the good news of Jesus. They don't know those things. You need to tell it to them. They need to be taught those things. That means taking intentional time in your daily rhythms to sit down and open God's word with them, to, to read it together, to pray it together, to sing it together, to memorize it together. And it's not just formal times of sitting around the table opening the Bible. It's also taking those informal opportunities. It's giving thanks around the table. It's conversations in the car. Joseph's just entered the stage where he asks why about everything, which is really fun because it gives us an opportunity to bring who God is and the reality of this world into those questions, even at a young age. It looks like helping our kids walk through significant milestones and moments in their life, according to the gospel. Those conversations when they sit crying in your shoulder, those are opportunities to shepherd them and to instruct them and to teach them. And then the joys as well, to teach them to be thankful to the Lord, to not take things for granted. If you've been around this church for a while, you, you will know that the, we've emphasized that the Bible teaches that parents are primary in that. Parents must take responsibility for that, but all instruction and discipleship takes place within the church community. It takes a village to raise a child, right? The church is here, if you're a parent, to support you, to pray for you as you seek to disciple your children. But don't outsource that responsibility to that room or to some kind of youth ministry or to whatever it might be. Don't outsource your responsibility as a parent to that room. Parents are primarily responsible for discipleship, and the church also plays a significant role in that. And let me just say this maybe too. Our cultural moment means that more than previous generations maybe, we need to instruct and disciple our kids in a deep and meaningful way. Because the world is intentionally trying to persuade them and instruct them of things that are contrary to God's word. Um, a guy called Ryan Anderson in a forward, forward to a book that really kind of captures the strange new world that we maybe find ourselves in. in. In capturing the kind of idea that the culture is going to disciple our kids regardless, we better make sure we're discipling them in the gospel. He says simply attending church each Sunday will not cut it anymore, if it ever did. Simply attending church each Sunday will not cut it anymore if it ever did. You and I need to have theologically, doctrinally, counterculturally meaningful conversations with our children if they are going to stand firm in their faith into old age. We need to tell them and we need to show them why God's way are good, why God's way is better, and that counting the cost is worth it. We need to have those kind of conversations. We can't afford not to anymore. Previous generations maybe got away with it a little bit. If even they did, we can't. We need to have those kind of conversations. 
And again, the church is here to help with that, to pray for that, and to support that. Then fifthly, discipline your children. So we're to teach them and instruct them in their ignorance. And when we've done that, if they then choose to stray from that instruction, we discipline them. What is discipline? It's lovingly teaching our children the consequences of sin and foolishness. In Proverbs terms, it's teaching them the consequences of a foolish life. It's showing them what happens when they choose to stray from the Lord. It's giving them really as parents, parents who are embodying the authority of the Lord in that child's life, it's showing them, it's giving them a taste or a forewarning of what it looks like for sinful, foolish people to come into contact with a holy God. It's giving them a forewarning of that. And it'll save them from much earthly pain as well as eternal pain. If we don't get discipline and discipleship right in the home in this time, if we don't set our kids up, or if we don't do that well now, we set our kids up to fail. Can remember what I said before? It's not ultimately determinative. But if we don't discipline them well and instruct them well, we are setting them up to potentially fail. Thomas Manton, the old Puritan, said this, the family is the seminary of the church and state. A failure in the first area will not be mended in the second. Family is a seminary of the church and state. A failure in the first area will not be mended in the second. The family matters. Discipline and instruction really matters. Why do we discipline? Because our kids, whether we like to hear it or not, are foolish. I didn't say that. Proverbs does. Verse 15, chapter 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We as children, our children, are by nature foolish. Discipline drives it from them. We discipline because they're foolish. We discipline because it will save them both physically in this life and spiritually. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Discipline is needed to keep them alive, quite literally in some ways. Stops them making possibly fatal, foolish decisions down the line. It is loving to discipline, Proverbs 13, verse 24, whoever spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I know in your mind you're probably thinking, I need to use a rod to discipline. It's not what Proverbs means. Discipline's done in different ways. I'll come on to that in a moment. If we do not discipline our children, we are not loving them. You do not love your children well if you don't discipline them. If you don't teach them the consequences of their foolishness, it will harm them. And, verse 17, if you, that's not motivation enough, here's motivation as a parent to discipline your child. Proverbs 29, verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. Okay? Well, maybe it's not the right way to put it, but it'll make your life easier in the long run. He will give delight to your heart. How do we discipline? Uh, We could spend a lot of time talking about this. I just want to highlight um, one resource. Um, Try not to do this too much from the front. I don't want to burden you with books, but this is probably the most helpful book I've read on family and parenting called Gospel-Centered Family by Tim Chester and Ed Mole. 
But it goes into fairly significant detail on how to discipline and instruct well, as well as a whole bunch of really other helpful things. If you use or pick up one resource on how to be a godly parent, pick up that one. It goes in talking about how we are to aim for the heart. We need to discern why our children are doing what they're doing. We set boundaries. We give them law. And when they break that, we follow through with consequences, but we get to the heart. We don't just hammer in behavioral standards. We also aim for the heart. We ask them why they did that. We get them to consider what does it look like to love their neighbor. And we also need to point to grace. We come alongside them and say, yes, God's law demands obedience from us, but we all feel at that. I feel at that too. In Jesus, there is grace. Maybe one important thing to say in discipline and instruction and in boundaries in the home, don't exasperate your children. Don't put unfairly burdensome demands on their life. Don't provoke them to anger, as Proverbs 6 talks about. Show them grace. Set boundaries, follow through with consequences, but show them much grace. That's marriage, parenting. Now for children, how do I become a wise child? First thing, fear the Lord. And again, let me just say that all of this is within the context of the fact that there are many homes broken in our town. Maybe we know some of them personally. Homes where children are neglected, abused, abandoned. And there are things which need to be done in those circumstances, of course. Yet the Bible calls us to honor and obey our parents like other areas of submission, whether it's government or church, that's never based on how good those people are. We are to submit and obey even sometimes in difficult circumstances. So let me just put that caveat there. There's lots of brokenness in homes. There are things which need to be done in those circumstances for sure. But we're all called to honor and obey imperfect parents insofar as they don't ask us to disobey God. So fear the Lord. My son, fear the Lord and the King and do not join with those who do otherwise. So children, you were created by God, you're accountable to him, and you are to fear him, to worship him, to submit to him, even when your parents aren't perfect. And not only to parents, but to those in authority over you. School teachers, sports coaches, the police, government. That's what it says in verse 21. Fear the Lord and the king. God's appointed means of governance. Don't follow the examples of those around you who don't do that. Secondly, honor your parents. Verse 20 in chapter 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. That means we speak respectfully to our parents. We speak respectfully of them, even when we've left a home and we've got married or whatever it might look like. Whilst we're in our home, we obey our parents. If we don't, it won't go well with us. That's what the Bible teaches either in this life or, as verse 20 points towards, or in eternity. His lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Thirdly, listen to and obey them. Chapter 6, verse 20, which we've already looked at. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Listen to them. Listen to them as they teach you, as they seek to instruct you, as they lovingly seek to teach and instruct you in God's word and his wisdom. And listening isn't just verbally listening or just listening with your ear, it's listening with your life. It's obeying those things, it's keeping those things. But as we've mentioned, do so knowing that there's forgiveness in Jesus for when we mess up. 
Chapter 30, verse 17, but I that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be, and this is a pretty sobering picture, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. It is no small thing to scorn and curse and disobey our parents. It points towards, on a consistent basis, it points towards a heart that is far from the Lord. Fourth thing, appreciate their correction. Chapter 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Your parents, if they're disciplining you in the Lord, are doing it because they love you. If they were to leave you to do whatever you wanted, which sounds great, right? Sounds great, but if they were to leave you to your own devices, if they were to leave you to do whatever you wanted, that would not be a good thing. That would not be a loving thing. Appreciate the boundaries and the correction that your parents set in your life. It will make you wise, even though it might not feel like it at the time. It will make you wise. It will lead to a more joyful relationship with them and a more joyful home. And fifthly, make them glad. How do you make them glad? Chapter 15, verse 20. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Do not put your parents through the pain of foolishness. There's forgiveness from God, yes. Your parents will still love you, yes. But avoid foolishness at all costs. I've seen that up close. The foolish decisions that children, the impact that that has on a mother, the pain it puts them through. You need to recognize as a child that your decisions And this goes for all of us. All of our decisions are communal decisions. They all impact someone. It's not just my life, my way, what I do in privacy is my thing, it's up to me. All of our decisions as children impact our parents, impact our family, impact our community. So don't make foolish decisions. And choosing wisdom and being wise in God's eyes, more than your grades or your achievements or whatever it might be, finding a good job, getting a future spouse, more than anything, the way that you can make your parents happy and the way that parents should seek to affirm their kids is that they're wise in the Lord's eyes. That's what makes them really glad. So get God's wisdom to live rightly in household relationships. But here's the big thing. We've all failed and will continue to mess up in those relationships, right? If our relationship with God depends on how wise we are, none of us would have a leg to stand on. We'd fall short because we often act like fools. I know I have. I know I do. So if we take these Proverbs in isolation from the rest of the Bible, if we don't keep reading to the Gospels, then we've no good news. Then Proverbs just becomes a list of of burdensome behavioral standards that that we need to keep that will either drive us to despair because we can't do them or it'll lead us to pridefulness because we think, hey, actually, I'm doing pretty well there. I think, I think people would say I'm doing pretty well there. We need to keep reading. Because in steps Jesus, the perfectly wise son, the perfectly wise husband, the one who offers us relationship with a perfectly loving, instructing, disciplining father. As a father, that's one way I take great solace is that I get to point my children to a perfect father to a father who will love them more than I ever could, who will perfectly instruct them, perfectly discipline them, 
perfectly teach them. In Jesus' life, he lived out these household relationships perfectly. He embodied wisdom on our behalf. He did what we could never do in those relationships. And in his death on the cross, he took the punishment for our foolishness. So that whoever turns from their sin and foolishness and trusts in him gets credit for his wise life. When we turn to Jesus and trust in him and embrace him, we get credit for his wisdom in these relationships. And we get the reward for it, eternal life. That's grace. That's why we need to keep reading. That's why we can't just stay here or else we become burdened. And for those who are now in Christ, who are united to him by faith, we have hope of real change and forgiveness for our ongoing failure. So as we strive to be wise in these relationships, we do that from a place of grace. We do that from a place where we're already accepted by God in Christ. We do that knowing that when we mess up, we can still be forgiven. We do that knowing that we get to point one another to Jesus as we strive to live these things out. Let me just pray for us. Father, we recognize and come before you confessing that so often we are foolish in these things. We recognize that we need your help. And so just ask for that help right now. Father, whatever our status might be in these things, please give us wisdom. Please change our hearts so that we might fear you, become more like you, and provide a godly contribution and example to those relationships. Father, thank you for Jesus. In him there's forgiveness when we mess up, and there's hope of real change. Help us to look to him. In his name we pray. Amen.